broadband internet service providers in real simple syndication are proud to bring you Carlin and Jordan's most excellent movie night. Thank you for listening to Carlin and Jordan's most excellent movie night. That over there is Carlin. And that is Jordan. And today we already, well, already, today we have a film selection that was given to us by one of our friends, one of our, the fans of the show. Uh, my friend Tim Morgan went ahead and suggested this uh, movie. It is called In Bruges, and it's from the year 2008. If you want to look up the movie, it is not spelled B-R-O-O-J, like it sounds. It's actually spelled uh, B-R-U-G-E-S. So, um, city in Belgium. It is a city in Belgium. And uh, yeah. we're going to go ahead and take a quick look at the Netflix summary. Yeah. After a job goes wrong in London, two hitmen are ordered to lay low at a bed and breakfast in Bruges, Belgium, until their boss contacts them. And uh, this was directed by Martin McDonough. Um, he was. He's been. He doesn't have a very large list of other directing credits at this point in his career. Yeah, no, he, he didn't. But apparently uh, he wrote the screenplay for In Bruges and he won an award for it. For, yeah. uh, it's like a Banff Award. I don't even know what the hell a Banff Award is. Yeah. A BAFTA? Oh, BAFTA maybe. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. BAFTAs are, are a pretty big deal in, in, in the UK world of filmmaking. Um but he's he has direct he did direct a film called Seven Psychopaths, which I've heard a lot of good things about. Oh, really? Yeah, I haven't actually had a chance to see it. No, I haven't seen it. Either. Um, and he's done a short called Six Shooter, which sounds interesting, but again, haven't had a chance to see. I thought it was a movie that I had seen, um, that involved kids who form a secret club around uh, old guns that they that they have. But it wasn't that one, so I was mm. a little sad about that. Uh, then he was also uh, an ex- executive producer on a film called The Guard. Got it. Um, the the actors on this film, if you're into um, foreign, well, not foreign movies, but British movies, which I guess technically yeah, are that's foreign. foreign. Um, but uh, you'll you'll know a lot of these actors. Uh, Colin Farrell uh, played one of the main characters, Ray. By the way, where did he go? Like, I feel like he hasn't been in anything real big recently. Um, he was not. he was like the hot stuff for a while. Well, for a, yeah, for a while he was. Um, I think probably the biggest thing that he did recently was uh, with Al Pacino with the Recruit, and okay. that, that was like what two or three years ago when that came out. Uh, he also has done films like Kicking It and On Dean, which are both pretty good films. Uh, another individual in the film, by the way, Colin Farrell was playing a character named Ray, just simply Ray. I love this film. I, actually, that's something right. I loved about the film was that the names were so simple. It was Ray, and it was Ken, and it was Harry, and that was pretty much it. You didn't know, need to know any but anything else about them in terms of names or anything. But um, yeah, it was very uh, simple. Yeah, but I mean that's good because you can remember them. Yes and, and, yes, and it's not something overly complicated. Ken was actually played by Brendan Gleeson. He kicked ass in yeah, this he film. He was fantastic. I loved him in this film. Uh, oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, I just look forward to him being on on screen. Yeah. I, you know, I think Colin Farrell did a good job. Yeah. And he actually got a lot of recognition for he it. He did, he did. And I think he did a good job with it. But I, in my opinion, Brendan Gleeson really showed him up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, the thing is that the character of of Ray is hothead who just jumps into things and he's reacting. He's reacting in a very specific way for very specific reasons. But Ken, as the one who has to be the grown up and be the adult and be the one who to rein Ray in, is really fascinating because he's got a moral dilemma that we'll talk about later on in the film. That's pretty pretty intense. Um, and it makes it adds a lot of interesting levels to the film uh, that that really make it tick on, on in a certain way. Uh, Gleason has done a lot of different things. Uh, he's been in a lot of a lot of really famous movies. Cold Mountain being a really great example. Uh, another movie that he did that's won all sorts of awards. Um, it's on my to watch list. 
um, and it's streaming on Netflix, so you might hear it show up on the podcast. Cool. Is The Secret of Kells, which is an Irish animated movie that came out a few years ago. Um, and it, it's supposed to take, like, images from a very famous, um, the, the Kells Manuscript, um, which is a, an illuminated document done by Irish monks, and it brings those to life and it tells a story in the style of, with the art looking like, the animation looking like it's taken from an illuminated manu- manuscript. Hmm. So that's, that's that would be pretty cool. Um, he was also in a film called The General. And then Harry. Harry, the badass in the film, the, the guy who causes all the problems, it was played by Ralph Fiennes. He's been a lot of stuff. Oh my goodness. Skyfall. The Constant Gardener. The English Patient. All of these are huge movies. Red Dragon. Red Dragon, yes. Uh, but he was also Voldemort. Yes. In the Harry Potter franchise. And let me point out that there are quite a few people from Harry Potter yeah, films there were like in this four film. Four people, like, between the main cast and. Because, um, if I'm not mistaken, Brendan Gleeson was also. He was Mad Eye Moody. Right. Um, Voldemort was Ralph Fiennes. Uh-huh. Clements Posey. She was, uh, I can't remember her name in it, but she was... She was one of the teachers, wasn't she? No, no, no. She was one of the um, very attractive school girls. I don't... God. I'm trying to remember. The ones that, like, when they moved, they would have, like, butterflies come out. Um, it was a whole different school, not Hogwarts. It was the other one. Oh. Um, I, I, can't, I can't remember what it was. I couldn't even tell you because I haven't seen any of the Harry Potter movies. Oh, jeez. You should. They're, they're actually really good. I've read all the books. But anyway, so but. Clemens Posey was also in it. Um, so Brendan Gleeson, Clemens Posey, and I think Ralph Fiennes. There was another one of the character. What Wasn't the Weasley's father in the movie as well? I didn't see him, but maybe he was. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I may have looked away. Small role. I do know that, um, speaking about how, like, the, like, Farrell and Gleason were both really well did great acting jobs in the movies both of them were nominated for Golden Globes actually really mm-hmm. and Farrell actually won yeah so I didn't know about that yeah um, oh also speaking of you know actors in this from other things that are popular um, actually the guy who played the uh, priest in this mm-hmm. which obviously has a very small role um uh, Ciaran Hines? Kieran Hines? Kieran Hines? Okay, that's probably, yes, how you say it. Uh, he uh, plays Mance Raider in the um, HBO series Game of Thrones. Good old so, Mance Raider. Yeah. I saw him and I was just like, is that Mance Raider? Is that Mance Raider? Like, that's a really small role, though, for yeah. him in this. Well, I, it might have been because he might have been a, a friend of the director. Um yeah, who knows? So it could have been like a like a just like a cameo, um, but it was it was interesting because they did a lot of um, a, a lot of this is I, I would I guess you could classify this as a black comedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is classified that way. I look, I was looking stuff up online just about like overall how people felt about the film, and a lot of the times it was just like dark comedy. Yeah. Because um, there there are a lot of little funny things in the movie, like um, and there are some name checks in the movie and everything that's interesting. Like for example, the names that they use to check in. <coughs> Sorry, Cranham and Blakely. That actually refers to Kenneth Cranham and Colin Blakely, two actors who played hitmen in a TV show called The Dumbwaiter. Oh, you know, so so there is that like an interesting nod. Yeah, an interesting little nod though. There and also, it's really funny that um, Ken and Ray have to share rooms because all the rooms at the end are full. It's Christmas. That's a the, like a little nod back to the nativity story. Ah, uh, gotcha. But here's the other thing. I, I wonder if it was intentional that they were supposed to be in the same room from Harry's perspective. From Harry's perspective, because. I'm. Sh- I mean, it's obvious that he really wanted Ken keeping tabs on Ray. Yeah. Oh, probably it was Harry. So yeah. It, it, at first, it seems like it's a it's a mistake, and it's like, oh, this is so in- it's so inconvenient, but it was probably planned. And it's great that the movie the movie is like like the Netflix summary says it, these guys are told to go to Bruges to lay low. Yes. And um, it's great that it actually opens up with them checking in 
rather than showing what happened, that what went wrong, the reason that they needed to, to actually get out of London. Um, and, and I just kind of loved how it had that aspect of it. We're just going to, we're just going to skip from where the story originally started to where you're seeing the aftermath, because then you're going to get a lot more once we do that flashback. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Did you read the Netflix summary? Was I sleeping for that? Yeah, you fell asleep for about five <laughs> minutes. I did my whole spiel. Okay, sorry. I, I, I insulted High School Musical again. And oh, good, good, good. Yeah. There you go. Uh, the thing is, uh, every now and then I'm looking over my notes to prepare for things. So, yeah. no. But anyway, um, so I thought in the beginning uh, it, it did a good job of establishing uh, Ray being screwed up and neither he or his partner want to be in Bruges. Right. I mean, it, in a small amount of time, did a very good job establishing who the characters were. Yes, it And did. what the situation was. So you didn't have to go through some, like, long, drawn-out explanation of, you know, this is all their past, and, you know, this is why they're here. And, and you just kind of get it. Like, it's, it's a quick setup, and you're just like, okay, makes sense. Simple, simple enough. And then you get a little extra bit of the story later on when, when you see, like, what Ray actually did. But that doesn't even take that long anyway. So no. I like that there wasn't too much setup needed. No. So you could get to, like, the meat of what was really going on. The meat and potatoes. And, uh, and they did a great job of establishing Bruges as, like, um, as, a, as the location. Mm-hmm. Really well. And it, oh, man. That, it, it's its own character in yeah, the film. Yeah, it really is. Uh, and that's one of the things I really liked. Uh, I like in films when they really explore uh, their surroundings, and they really took the time to just go around Bruges and show you a lot of it. And it looks quaint. It looks interesting. And watching the film actually made me like, man, I feel like I kind of want to go to Bruges someday. and. Just you know, spend a weekend or, or a bunch of days there. Yeah, just add that to your list of uh, your ideal European European vacation. Yeah, yeah. Paris, Bruges, Madrid. Yeah, but just don't jump off that clock tower or wherever, whatever it was. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was a clock tower, I believe, or a bell tower. Bell tower, yeah, I think. Um, it, it, what was great was that the difference between Farrell and Gleason is visually so. They're so different, visually. I mean, they're both Irishmen, but but Farrell is dark, very dark, a, a little bit on the thinner side, you know, and he spent the whole, like, first part of the movie being nervous, and, you know, he, they, they went to a, they went to a, uh, um, they went to a bar one evening, and he gets just, like, a pint, um, and then, uh, Ray, or, or no, Ken, gets the, um, the goblet, the goblet it's, of, it's a Belgian Belgian style glass that they usually use to serve Belgian style beers in. It's yeah, a, yeah, it's a goblet style and, glass. And he 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 immediately says, "I get the normal drink because I'm normal. You get the weird drink because you're weird." No, actually, the the actual quote I wrote it down because it bothered me is one gay beer for my gay friend and one normal beer for me because I'm normal. Yes. Um, I like Belgians personally. Here's the thing. Homosexual slams in film just for no reason. I cannot get behind at all. Uh, that did absolutely nothing to further the film. Yeah. It was just in there because I guess the I guess uh, Martin McDonough thought it was funny. I don't think it's funny. I think it's stupid. I think it, you you can fill that space with something more meaningful. Yeah. Um, and I'm I'm just not for that kind of bashing. Yeah. I it was it was uh, a tough moment in the film to get through. But it also, I think, shows a little bit about who Ray is. Who Ray is? He's a crass jackass. Yeah, he, he's a, and it's also, I think, it's meant to, to kind of put you off his character a little bit, you know, because at the very beginning of the movie, he's like, I don't want to be here. This town is a shithole. I, you know, I, and I don't understand why we're walking around looking at buildings. Why do you think this is normal? He like everything he does gives you this idea that he just hates. Everything Bruges. about Bruges. And he also doesn't really like Ken that much either. Yeah. Well, he also said, and it is an interesting dichotomy between, you know, Ken is there just to be with Ray, and he's actually like, oh, this is kind of like a vacation. I think Bruges is really nice. I'd like to spend more time here. Whereas Ray's like, oh my God, this is like hell. This place sucks. 
Uh, Ray actually even says, I wrote a quote down when um, Ken was talking about how nice he thought Bruges was. Uh, Ray said, if I grew up on a farm and and was retarded, Bruges might impress me. I grew up in Dublin. I love Dublin. Right. Yeah. So here's the thing. This is another instance where McDonough, in in his script writing, used very low-hanging fruit. You know, jokes about retardation, fat jokes, gay jokes, midget jokes, all this stuff. This is the lowest hanging fruit. These things bother me. Be smarter as a writer. Don't just throw out the most base crap that you can. It bothers me. What about the Yank jokes? Did they bother you? Oh, about being an American thing? Yeah. Yes. I mean... And then the one guy's Canadian, so he, he, he like, tries to insult him by bringing up the Vietnam War. Yeah, it's just... It goes along with stereotyping in films. It's the most obvious. It's easy. It's stupid. Like, be smarter than that. Like, give me something extra. Because when you throw these kinds of things into films, it takes me out of it. Because I'm just going to be like, look, you're not even trying. And a lot of that stuff could have just been left out. I mean, it's just in there for the, the amusement of the person who created it originally. And they're like, I think it's funny, so I want to put it in there for me. Yeah, I, and, and that was, that's a very good point to make. And I, I was kind of along the same lines, but especially with the, the midget jokes. At yeah, the very that point. was ridiculously excessive, in my opinion. But it was interesting to see how the, the midget and the end of the film... Little person. The little person. Please. Played into the actual story. Correct. And the act, and the, what was going on. It was, That's true. It was an actual plot point to the story and it, it, rather it, than just bashing something. It was, and it was a very good plot point for the story, but you don't need to cheapen it no. by having these stupid jokes. Right. These stupid well, midget jokes, because if you take all those out... The impact that it's supposed to have in the end is still there. Yeah, yeah. Because of because of, again, this is something that we've talked about before. The moralism of criminals, where they think killing a woman or a child is different than killing a man. Yeah, and that's rampant in this film too. And I, I think I wrote something down about that. Um, it's it's like you're killing. Like mm-hmm. it, it doesn't matter on any level. You are killing people. And the other thing to keep in mind is this is yet another one of those films where you're looking at some of the people and you're rooting for them, but they're scum. Right. Like, you know, I find myself rooting for Ken. Like, you're like, oh, he's a good guy, whatever. He's not. He kills people for a living. Yeah, he kills people. His job is to be a hitman. Yeah. Right. Same thing. He was trying to kill people. That was his first job, but he killed people. Harry, he kills people for a living. You know, even though Harry... And Ken, I ideal, ideologically, I knew I was going to get that word out eventually. Yeah, <laughs> ideologically, I very, very much on different ends of the spectrum. They have different the film. different philosophies about life. Right, and you're supposed you're supposed to hate Harry and like Ken, and that works. It makes you do that. But when you really think about it, they do the same thing. Well, and here's the que- one of the questions that I had coming out of the film. Um, the reason that. Ken and Harry are associated with each other is because Ken's wife gets murdered in 1975. Mm-hmm. And Harry, I'm not sure if he's a friend of his or what what goes on there, but Harry actually hunts down the person who killed Ken's wife and then pretty much it, it's a, it's implied that he murders him. I, I'm, I'm thinking... Harry probably chopped the guy up into little pieces and threw him into the Thames. Most likely. Um, so you get the you get the. I kind of got this idea that Ken really didn't like the fact that he was a killer, but he felt obligated to do what Harry said because he felt like he owed Harry some kind of debt. You know, so Harry said, "Kill people." So Ken kills people. He was going to. Okay, the big thing is that Ken. Means a Harry wants Ken to kill Ray, right? In the film because of something that goes wrong on the job. So even though Ken thinks it's wrong, he still was going to do that, you know, until circumstances changed. Right. 
And so I, I feel like it's, it's very much that Ken feels like Harry has a hold on him that he can't get rid of for right. one reason or another. And as we're talking about the ideologies of Harry versus Ken, it's interesting because Harry is like you can't kill women and children, basically. Like, mm-hmm. that's terrible because they're innocent, right? right? Versus Ken, who's trying to, in the end, um, save Ray because his argument is he's young. He can be innocent. Yeah. He can start over again. Ray it's can not be, too late. Ray can be redeemed. Exactly. So it's very interesting because Harry's thinking... You know, uh, no matter what, children and, and women are, are innocent. But here's a situation where, you know, Ken has that kind of same view. But he's like, look, you know, here's this person, Ray, who screwed something up. And it was doing Harry's bidding right. is when he screwed something up. It was an accident. Yeah. And he's saying, look, he's not a bad person. He did what you told him to do. Mm-hmm. And things got messed up. But he can be a good person. Right. So he can regain his innocence, Yeah, in a sense. Yeah, yeah. He can start over. He can go to another town away from England and completely start over. But it's interesting because Harry seems to see the world from a standpoint of there's black and there's white and then there's whatever I want to do, you know. Yeah, well, it's like... All the rules apply to everyone else. I can do whatever I want, except I do have certain principles that I definitely hold to, and that's easily seen in the end when he thinks he killed a child yeah. accidentally and he kills himself. Then, yeah, yeah. The the the, the what happens um, just to give the context of, of for the rest of the movie is that Ray's first job is to kill a priest. We're not told why he has to kill a priest, right? Um, but he his job is to assassinate a priest. Um, so he does he he does that in the confessional booth. Confesses to the priest that he's murdered a man and then shoots him. Um, the priest gets out of the confessional booth and lurches away. And when Ray goes to finish the job, um, he doesn't realize that there's a child there, and he accidentally shoots the child in the head and kills him. And the and the child it's it's actually very sad because he has a list that he's holding. And he's he's praying about he's trying uh, t- trying to atone for things that he perceives as sin and it's like being moody being bad at math and being sad, sad. yeah you know and which is it's just like really tragic yeah. you know and well it's just um it, the flashback really sobers up the film because it's like why are we doing this why are we having all of this this interaction between someone who's a bit of a wanker in ray and someone who seems like a overall decent fellow in Ken mm-hmm. you know and then you understand that Ken was supposed to kind of be his support and when he sees that things have gone wrong he takes him to Bruges at the orders of Harry to go ahead and actually kill Ray finish, the finish him off the reason that Harry sends them to Bruges is because that's the last place he remembers where he had a happy moment on vacation Mm-hmm. Um, so he wants Ray to have one happy moment before he dies. Which I guess he does because he meets Chloe, right. uh, the character of Chloe. Um, a, your cat. Yeah, no, not my cat. Uh, she is a drug-dealing um, production assistant, I guess, for a film that's being shot in Bruges. And also a small, small-time thief. Yeah, and a small-time thief, that's true. Yeah. So that happens. So he does. He does find happiness. And there. you know what? The fun thing is that they have a good chemistry between the two of them, even though they're both scumbags. Yeah, yeah. Scumbags like scumbags. Well, I mean. what's great is they're sitting in this really classy restaurant, and um, Chloe asks Ray, "So what do you do for a living?" Oh yeah. And Ray says, "I murder priests and children." Yeah, um, and I think that easily personifies the dark comedy aspect yes. of the film. Uh, because who would really say that? Because that is actually something that he is very much struggling with, and he cries about yeah. during the film. So to then make light of it to somebody... I don't think he's making light of it. I think he's using the the ability to be ironic to actually confess and try and get some kind of catharsis from it. Yeah, but he's also trying to act like it doesn't hurt him. Right. Like, like it's not a problem. Well, I'm going to be the badass because I'm going to impress the lady. Uh, I'm not sure how many people that would impress. 
This is Ray we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, okay. I mean, this is a guy who who wants to come off as a hardened criminal. But, uh, yeah, he just... He doesn't have it. He comes off as a, a fairly bigoted individual. Yes. Um, uh... But they have they have a good chemistry, and it's kind of funny when she then turns around and says, "Well, I deal drugs to actors." Yes, you know, and she does. Yeah, and she does. And he he, he talks about one of the actors in the film who is a little person. And he's like, "I can't believe that he didn't wave to me when I saw him this morning." And she's like, "Well, he was he was on horse tranquilizers, tranquilizers. What do you expect?" And then he backs up that claim later because Ray confronts yeah. him. He's like, "Why didn't you say?" Why don't you acknowledge me? Why don't you say hi to me when I said hi to you before? And he's like, I was on horse tranquilizers, so... Yeah, everybody is a little too overly honest in this film. Yeah. That, that, yeah. They're very honest. I, I, I agree with that. Um, one of the interesting things to me in the film was the uh, when they went to the museum, and Ray... They were is, looking at the art? Yeah, they were looking at art, and... While Ray's looking at one piece of artwork, Ken's looking at another, and they reflect things about them. Yes. Uh, the one that Ray's looking at is a picture of a, a man on a, on a table being flayed alive, and you can see he's in excruciating pain. Yeah. And I think this is a representation of kind of what Ray's going through on, uh, internally, right? Uh, trying to work out you know how he's supposed to feel and how he's supposed to reconcile what he did yeah. with accidentally killing a child. So that is interesting, and at the same time, Ken is looking at a painting of a man handing, I think it's actually a holy man, handing a piece of paper to a skeleton, which is basically uh, foreshadowing, it, uh, showing that, you know, Ken's going to be the dealer of death for Ray. Yeah. Um, I thought that was a cool touch to yeah. the film. Yeah, and it's interesting because then they start talking about, you know, heaven and hell and purgatory. And it's not made clear at this point because you don't have that flashback yet to set the context. So it, it seems like a really weird conversation for these two grown men to be having about, you know, what you're taught as a child and, and whether or not you come to believe it or not. Um, but But it really, once you get that aspect of, you know, they're looking at religious artwork, they're looking at something about, you know, being tortured, at least on a physical level and everything, then you're, you're able, once you get that flashback, you're able to go, oh, oh, yeah. oh man, this is really a lot darker than you would think. Um, and there's also this scene that's right before the flashback where they're in uh, an old church, and Ken is enjoying it from the aspect of the tourist, and he's like, apparently they have a vial of Christ's blood up in in this portion of the church, and and Ray just gets very upset about being in the church, and he storms out. Well, because that's where the accident occurred, right? So it's not in, but but through the beginning of the movie, the first you don't understand fifteen minutes, you think it's, that he's just ticked off because Ken is dragging him around as a tourist when he really just wants to be going to bars and. And having a good time. Well, and that's what people do when they go through something terrible. They want to drown their problems in alcohol and try to do whatever they can to have fun and, right. and for, forget about what happened. And I kind of wondered at this point, once I saw, once we, once we got the flashback, I was I almost kind of wondered if Ken was actually trying to subtly guilt Ray. Maybe. You know? Into, into committing suicide? Not into committing suicide, but into to realizing um, his, what his problems were. So he's trying to... I was wondering if he was trying to keep, you know, the idea of what had happened fresh in his mind so that... So that he could actually... That he's trying to process it. Right. He could actually work through it and it would help him become a better person. Yeah. And actually deal with it instead of just dulling all his senses by drinking and exactly. doing drugs and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, truly, when when you know Ray is in Bruges, he's participating in drugs, alcohol, and sex. You right. know, he's just hitting all the uh, physical pleasures. Uh, whereas Ken, you know, Ken's having beers here and there, but and at one point drinks a lot because that's when because he finds out he's supposed to kill Ray. Right, exactly. But for the most part, he's just kind of you know trying to enjoy Bruges for what it actually is and have an actual like cultural experience. Right. Um, but you were talking about the idea of that they brought up of like heaven and hell and purgatory, 
And you can see in the film that Ray views Bruges as purgatory. Right. You know, he's stuck there, he can't go anywhere. And it's also hell for him, especially in the end yeah. when he's been shot and he stumbles onto the film set and everything's very nightmarish. It's yeah. so nightmarish. And that's actually one of my favorite parts of the film because they did a really good job making it uh, Im- impactful, too. Yeah. I mean, it really kind of personifies what's going on inside of Ray uh, in a physical way. And here it is, and, and he's seeing it, and he's like, oh my god, you know, it's like a nightmare. And it's funny, too, because then you have Ken, because he's, you know, he's viewing Bruges as heaven, in a way. Yeah. He gets away from his job, he gets to take it easy, he thinks Bruges is beautiful. Gets to ride on canals all day long. Yeah, he's, he's having this great cultural experience. He even refers to it as, as fairy tale-like. Yeah. So this dichotomy between fairy tale and nightmare right. well, is and very al- interesting. Also, the thing is, though, that the, the fairy tales, in general, like, the stories that of the Grimm brothers are horror stories. You know, like... Correct. You know, they're, they're things where, like, if you look at the story of Hansel and Gretel, things look wonderful on the outside of the witch's house. It's all made out of gingerbread. But when you go inside, then you're going to get chopped up and murdered. And then she's going to cook you into pie. So, you know, you, you get this this aspect of the fairy tale having something that's glitzy and pretty on the outside, but then you have the inner turmoil and the angst that Ray is going through, so you get both sides of the dichotomy there in one one pair of people. Correct. Uh, also, um, something that I thought was interesting about the, the dream, like the, the filming sequence at the end, first off, having a, having a film crew in your movie is a little too meta, you know. It's. It, I can understand why it's done. It's right. cheap to have extra equipment lying around, so you can just use that. Right. You know, but it's it's still a little bit cute. But they did a great job of it because um, Chloe and Ray and I forget the name of the the um, the character who's the, the little, the little person. person actor. Yeah, me, um, I'll find it. Yeah, they um they have this moment where. They reunite after um, Ray comes back to Bruges. He's brought back on, on assault charges because of an incident that happens when he's on his date with Chloe. And um, they, they actually kind of have this reconciliation. And the actor starts telling Ray about the end of the movie and how it's this dream sequence that they're going to be filming and everything like that. And I just thought that was a really interesting bit of foreshadowing how they're talking about the um, the the filming that's going on, and then you kind of forget about it for a little while because there's the the chase scene where Harry's trying to kill Ray, and you you come across that, and, and it just everything kind of fits together at that point. Uh, the little person actor, main actor in it, uh, his name is Jimmy in the film, mm-hmm. and he, he is actual name in real life is Jordan Prentice. Jordan good Prentice. name, huh, Jordan? Yeah, I like that name. <laughs> it's a good name, right? Yeah, so there you go. Um, yeah. And I, I liked um, I liked how a lot of the jokes kind of circled around. Like, um, you kind of get the idea that Ray, Ray, aside from being, you know, homophobic and, and um, culturally illiterate, doesn't like, doesn't like Americans all that much. Yeah, that's really hammered home. And also, they uh, there's the stereotype of all Americans are fat. Yeah, all Americans are fat. <laughs> As Jordan slaps his stomach. I, I, I am a rotund individual. <laughs> uh, but, you know, then you get the idea that also... Ray's assumption is that Americans are, are fat, that they're bigoted, and that they're, they're just horrible. Jimmy goes around and says, yes, I'm an American. Don't hold that against me. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, the self-loathing American. Yeah, the yeah. self-loathing, self-loathing American. Um, but also, um, like y- another thing that they talk about is um, how Ken talks about how he shot somebody who had a bottle and was trying to hurt him with a bottle, and and Ray's like, "Well, that's justified because a bottle can kill you, so that's a weapon." So then you have this scene where um, Ray has this altercation with a couple that he thinks are Americans. Um, and so he, he 
insults them because he thinks they're Americans. Yeah. Um, and the fact that they're sitting, again, they're sitting in the smoking section of a restaurant and they don't like the fact that people are smoking, which is ridiculous. Um, but come to find out, one, and then one of them attacks him with a bottle. The woman. The woman attacks him with a bottle. So she gets punched in the face right, by exactly. Ray. Right, exactly. Because he's like, hey, I mean, it's warranted. She came at me with a weapon. Yeah. So so it all ties together. You know, gangsters, stupid and fat. And bottles are deadly weapons that you must protect yourself from at all costs. Yeah. Even if it, if it means punching out a woman. Which then he profusely tells Chloe, I don't hit women. No, please. I'm yeah. sorry. I don't hit women. Well, that altercation ends up really coming back to bite him because... He was on his way out of Bruges because Ken put him on a train and was like, you need to get out of here. Just go somewhere. Yeah, but he gets caught on the train because he had that altercation. They were looking for him, and they take him back to Bruges where, you know, things get real. Things get very real. But I liked, I kind of liked that aspect because even though the, 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 the writing was a little bit on the uh, lazy side, it, it, it tied together nicely how his consequences right. came back just like the consequences of him killing the priest and the child are haunting him throughout the entire movie, his consequences in the restaurant bring him back to Bruges. It's like he can't escape purgatory no matter how hard he tries. Not just the consequences of that fight, but also the consequences of um, blinding that one guy in, in his one eye by shooting the blank in his face. Which, you know, the guy tried to rob him. Yeah, so. it, it was, and that was actually kind of funny. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That that was a good comedic moment. There were there were a lot of good dark comedic moments throughout the film. I will say, uh, it's entertaining, it's engaging in that way. But um, yes, it was good to see that there are consequences to the things that you do. When actually, with a lot of films, those kind of things would have played out, and there are no consequences. Right. It would have been a one shot, and then they would move on to the next gag. Yeah, because if you're a main character in a film, there are no consequences for some of the things you do. Like, if you're Jason Statham, and you just whoop a bunch of people, you know... You can walk away from it. Yeah, and no one's going to be looking for you. So, uh, yeah. Uh, one of the, the funny things to me, which is dark, but quite funny, uh, was how Ken was going to kill Ray when he was sitting in that park... And then Ray starts putting a gun up to his head. It's like, no! And Ken stops him from killing himself. And then it would have solved all of his problems. Exactly. Because then he wouldn't have to kill Ken. He wouldn't have to kill Ray. He could tell Harry that Ray is dead. You know, and he could he could still enjoy his cultural experience. But no, Ray actually... No, Ken seems to actually like Ray. Yeah. For whatever reason, <laughs> I can't tell. Because... Well, it, it might partially be he sees himself as going on a kind of regrettable path and he could see part of himself in Ray and say, look, you know, he's much younger. He's at this crossroads where I chose to go the way of being a hitman. Yeah. He doesn't necessarily have to stay on that road. There, there's potentially another offshoot of that path that he could take to get back to a better path. So by reaching out to him and trying to set him straight, you know, Maybe he can redeem himself in yeah, a certain way. Exactly. And it also has an interesting idea about, you know, history. Because Ken likes history. He enjoys looking at the old buildings. Um, he's a, a fairly introspective person. And like we talked about earlier, his wife had been killed. So yeah. I, I kind of wonder if his idea of history being a more idyllic place because he can think about when his wife was alive. So in some way... Those buildings remind him, the older buildings remind him of an older time, which reminds him of some place when he was happier in life. Right. Whereas Ray sees the older buildings, he sees churches, he sees priests, he sees someone he killed and children. You yeah. know, so... Heaven versus hell. Yeah, exactly. So Ray's afraid of history because he's ashamed of killing the boy, whereas Ken sees history as a way to relive something that he holds dear. That's a great point. You know, comfort in history and discomfort in yeah. history versus these two characters. Young and older, you know. Yeah. That's interesting. I like that. Good job, Jordan. You're Thank the you. man. <laughs> I try and bring at least one astute observation to a recording session every time. Good job. Yay. So, 
the also the interesting thing about Ken keeping Ray from killing himself is it actually creates a bit of a funny moment when he's talking to to Harry when he has to answer him and he was like oh he's trying to kill himself I stopped him and Harry's like what you stopped him from killing himself you stopped him from killing he's like come on even if you didn't want to kill him he could he was gonna take care of it himself why didn't he and and I love how Harry is just hilarious. Yeah, he's he's over the top hilarious, and that's where it's it's interesting because he's a bad character and you're supposed to not like him, but you like him because he's got this kind of likable persona. I'm bad and that's okay. Yeah, yeah, right. right. Uh, no, I, what I love is like when he gets off of the phone with with Harry the second time. Harry just calls him and says, "Look, I didn't kill him. In fact, I put him on the train. He's out of your life. Goodbye." And hangs up. And Harry just spends like about 30 seconds smashing the crap out of his phone. Just completely ripping it up. And his wife walks into the room and goes, it's an inanimate object. Why are you taking your anger out on it? And he just turns to her and goes, you're an inanimate object. Ha ha, zing. Zing. Because apparently Harry is not very clever with the words. Well, I mean, that's why he just kills people. I mean, yeah. Or has people kill people for I, him. That's the best way to solve all your problems. Uh, in Harry's world, yes it is. Definitely is. So, um, oh, I did have something else I was going to talk about. Um, <clears throat> the idea behind killing any bystander, in my opinion, yeah. is messed up. You know, yeah. And this goes back to what we were talking about as far as you know, you, you kill a kid, you kill a woman, you know, for some people, I, I know in this film they probably put the whole uh, Ray killing a priest thing in to be like, oh, it's, you know, a holy man, whatever, like, yeah, you, a, a person is a person, in my opinion, mm-hmm. and whether they're a holy person or they're not a holy person doesn't make a difference to me, you're still killing a person. Yeah, I don't see, and, and this might come as something that's odd for me, but... I don't see the priesthood as any higher of a calling than or any regular job. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I mean, I, it, it is a, it's a job where you, ideally, you're you're helping other people, mm-hmm. but it's not something that puts you above anybody else. Right. Um, but that's used the the idea that it does put you above other people is used in film and TV a all lot. the time all the time I mean we just look over the recent spate of movies that we watched Don John you yeah. know there's there's a scene in the confessional there where the, the character doesn't understand why he's facing the same punishment um, where he, you know he's not when he's actually coming and confessing that he lied and then you know there's all that there and then the boondock Saints. Yep. The holy men tacitly support the vigilantes. Yep. You know, in fact, I was just looking at the the um, the Boondock Saints poster that you have hanging in in your in your basement, and it's it's silenced guns, just like Ken was going to use to kill Ray. Yep. You know, and, and that idea that you know these Irishmen and the Boondock Saints are you know supported by their local parish and. You know, they get a tacit agreement from them. And then the Irishmen of Imbruge are, you know, actively seeking out priests to kill is a very interesting juxtaposition between the two movies. Yeah. When ideally, like like we're talking, you know, that, you know, being in the priesthood is, is a job, you know, where whereas in the Boondock Saints, it's being almost ordained by, yeah. by the holy people. Right. I'm sorry, I'm not all that um, savvy with religion stuff, as you can probably tell. Uh, versus in in the film in Bruges, right, where the the murderings being signed off on by Harry, in my opinion, they're both people. You know, yeah. the the people in the priesthood in you know Boondock Saints that are okay with the vigilanteism versus Harry. You know, these are these are people saying go and kill. Yeah. And they're the same to me because they're all people. Right. Right. Well, and and that that's one of the things ab- about it is that, you know, 
Harry justifies what what he does by saying, "I'm not going to kill children." Right. The Boondock Saints justify what they do by saying, "We're only going to kill criminals." Right. You know, so they 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 all have a justification for why they are going to treat somebody else as worse than other people. Right. It's a way to to be a bad person, but to yourself be like, well, I'm not totally a bad person because I have a line. Right. You know, I, I've drawn a line somewhere and I stick to that. So going out and killing people, I'm not that bad of a guy. No, I'm not that bad of a guy. I mean, I might, I might, you know, be horrible to my wife and, you know, have fits of rage that cause me to destroy things like inanimate objects around me. But I, I respect people who work for me. And I do offer them the chance to shoot back at me. Yeah. And also, I don't kill children. Yes. So I'm a good guy overall. And here's the other thing is, with Ray, or I'm sorry, with Harry, what he sees is since Ray accidentally killed a child, he has to be killed himself. Yes. How is that going to fix anything? I, I it think, doesn't. I think Harry has the idea that now Ray is a rabid dog. You know, that he's, right. that he's had the taste of the forbidden fruit. Right. So he has to be put down. Or he's sick, he's fundamentally broken in some way, so we cannot allow him to be a risk to society anymore. Which is just bizarre. He's Well, he's placing his ideals on Ray. Right. Because he's saying, you know, if I cross that line, I'm out of control. Right. Therefore, if Ray crosses that line, even if it's accidental, he's out of control, and he will spin out of control. Right. When I... The other thing is you have plenty of people who are like... If I kill anyone, I have crossed the line yeah. and I am out of control. Right. It's all perspective, and it's just really interesting because Harry's just like, this This is a way that he's just like, I'm not a bad person. Yeah. It's like, I have this line, and I, I just don't cross that line, so anyone who crosses it must die. Yeah. I'm okay because I kill people who I think just need to get it. Yeah. I solemn, solemnly promise that I will not shoot you until the pregnant woman leaves the hotel. You know? Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which that, was funny in the context of the movie. Oh, that was really funny. Um, it's like, okay, here's an idea. How about I just jump out of a window into a river, and then you can just shoot me. And that's, you know, that's one of the things that I really liked about the how things went between Harry and Ray and Harry and Ken. Is There was, like, it's so gentlemanly. You know, it's like... Do we really have to do this? Like, do we really do, have to shoot each other? Do you have to make this harder than it needs to be? Like, there was a whole lot of that, and you really saw that with Harry and Ken, because obviously Harry cared for Ken, and he's like, yeah. oh, God, I really don't want to have to do this, but you let Ray go, and like, yeah. I feel like I gotta, I gotta cap you, buddy. It, it's like, it's pretty much like he's sitting down with a a trusted employee. Who really screwed the pooch, and he has to give him a bad review. You're fired. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's <laughs> in the worst way. You're fired. Here's your bullet. It's your pink slip. Yeah. I mean, um, but then let's talk a little bit about what Ray does at the very end of the movie because he he believes all the way. No, not Ray, but Ken. Ken believes all the way to the end of the movie that Ray is someone who can be redeemed. Right. Um, he does. He does, and he fights for him, and yeah. that's what leads to his death. Yeah. Um. Which was accidental at first, it seems. Ken's death? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah because, yeah. I mean, there's no, no reason for Ken to die if Ray is still alive and, and Harry can kill him. Well, and but it, then, the, then there's the fight for the gun. and It's weird how things like change so much. Yeah. Because at first, Harry's like, okay, I have to kill you because you let Ray go. And they're like, okay, well, let's go up to the bell tower. Then, you know, Ken lays out all this stuff. You know, all, he says a lot of nice things. And then I think that makes Harry like, oh, God, I, you know, I don't want to really kill you. I like you too much. Yeah, and so they're leaving, and then he hears, oh, Ray's here. And then he's like, okay, well, now I definitely don't have to kill Ken. That's all good. And then there's a scuffle because Ken wants to keep Harry from killing Ray, and then he accidentally shoots him. And now Harry's just like, ah, oh, damn it. Like, now I killed him. It's just so crazy in that short amount of time for Harry to go from, here's a trusted person that I really like, gotta kill him to oh yeah I don't really want to kill him to oh my god I accidentally am killing him I'm sorry <laughs> I gotta go run off and kill somebody else now I hope you have a good death it's schizophrenic yeah if well you I mean the, I mean the thing is that Harry is presented as someone who is completely unstable 
Obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, he thinks he's he thinks he's a good person. Yeah. But oh, um, everybody thinks they're a good person in their own mind, right? One way or another, you know. Even if they're a horrible person and they know it, they have like one little thing that they do that makes them feel like they're they're a decent person. Yeah. And Jimmy thinks he's a good person, even though he he is strung out on horse tranquilizers. <laughs> And, uh, Which is pr- that's probably how he sounds when he's on them. Yes, horse tranquilizer. <laughs> he's strung out on horse tranquilizer. I can't say the word tranquilizer. Tranks, just say tranks. 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 And banging hookers. Yeah, and he's like, this is not my girlfriend. She's a prostitute I picked up. He has and, no problem with yeah, it. Too. Ken has a fantastic line um, where he's like, Oh yeah. Well, you've picked up a very pretty prostitute. Yeah. <laughs> That was, I mean, it's a good compliment. It, it was a, a great, a great compliment. Comparison. It was, it was an appropriate compliment for the way that Jimmy reacted. Yes. Um, when most people would just kind of tiptoe around things, it, when someone just comes out and they're like, "Yeah, she's a prostitute," they can be like, "Oh, okay. Well, then she's a pretty prostitute." Like, yeah. Congratulations, <laughs> you found a, a, a good-looking prostitute. Yeah, yeah. Good job. Good job with that. And then, and then, when he gets high on cocaine, Jimmy has some very fantastic. You know, views about how the race the, war. Yeah, there's going to be an upcoming race war, and you can't choose your side. You know, and, and and Ray asks him all sorts of. It's it's a it's a played as a funny scene because they're all sitting around enjoying very high, very high enjoying enjoying um, beer with each other, and and they're, they're, a, a ran, another random prostitute just shows up. Mm-hmm. It's not even explained, and someone asks, "Where did she come from?" You know. <laughs> Yeah, and that is kind of a moment in the film where they they cut back and then where did she come from? Yeah. That's what that's what I thought. I was yeah, like, wait a second, that's not the same prostitute. What they have two now? Yeah, wow. Because you know, apparently, Bruges for a small town has a very active brothel community. Oh, that's why it was funny. Oh, there was another funny moment when was it Ray was talking to the prostitute and he didn't know she was. Yeah, and he she was like, um, no, I'm from Amsterdam. And he was like, oh, that's just all full of prostitutes. And she's like, yeah, that's why, why I came here and get yeah. more money for my pussy, is yeah. what she said. That's exactly, yeah, that's an exact And he was, he's just like, kind of like caught off guard, like, oh, um, okay. That was funny. That yeah. that was a good, and see, that's what I'm talking about. Like, that's kind of like a funny joke, and that's not like the low, low-hanging fruit, like, the fat jokes and the retarded jokes and the gay jokes and the midget jokes. And yeah, and we're, we're closing the tower early. There, the, There's a joke where... There's a, a family of Americans who are, are morbidly obese. Yes. You know, and uh, they're like, oh, we're going to climb to the top of the tower. And um, Ray says, I don't think you want to do that. It's very, there's a lot of st- stairs there. And he's like, how dare you, you know. Think, well, no, he was just basically like, you're not going to make yeah, it because you're, you're, you're so you're, large. Yeah. Um, and then Ken comes down, and rather than, he, I don't think he was making a fat joke. He was no. just saying... Look, it's it's kind of treacherous up there. I don't you don't want to get hurt. They thought he was making another fat joke at their expense. Well, they didn't even fully listen to him. Right. They're just like, "Fuck you." Yeah, and they just storm off. Yeah. But then at the end of the movie, you find out that one of the Americans, presumably presumably the husband, has a heart attack at the top of the bell tower. Yeah. You know, so it's like, "Oh, well." Oh, there you go. Ray was right. Americans are fat and crass and loud and yeah. annoying. I do want to say when uh, Ken threw himself off of the bell tower, that was a grisly scene. The fact that he was still alive after impact. Yeah, and then he's like, "I think I'm gonna die now." Well, it shows him like all screwed up. Like he, you know, his limbs are broken all over the place. He's laying in a pool of blood, just like the disgusting viscera and everything, just like in a pile there. It's like it's gross, man. Yeah. Um, Good job on on the uh, practical effects. Yeah, well, and like when his neck gets blown out by the bullet. Yeah, that too. Uh, yeah, there's some nasty practical effects in it, which were looked realistic and yeah, well done. But yeah. but that was hard to watch that scene where like Ray comes over to Ken and he's like all screwed up, just like a, a disgusting bloody pile. Yeah, it's yeah. hard to watch, especially when you've you've gotten kind of invested in Ken as a person. And it also seems like Ray has come to appreciate Ken for who yeah. he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Well, so. I mean, he's he let him go. Like he said, I'm supposed to kill you, but hey, you know, get out of here because I'm a good guy now. Yeah, can I have my gun back? No. 
Um, and then the end, I thought I thought the end of the film was was done quite well. You know when um, I liked how ambiguous it was. Oh yeah, that you don't know if Ray lived or not. You know he said he really wanted to live, but then they just stop it right there and yeah. they go black. And is that that is it? He went black like he died. Or Everything went to black for him. him. Or was that just the end of the film? And yeah, you don't know because he, he lived. there's a voiceover at that part that says, you know, maybe Bruges is hell. You know, and I can't get away. Right. You know, but I really want to live. Yeah. And who knows, maybe he did live and he settled down in Bruges with Chloe and they were dealing drugs together and all that good stuff. I mean, he's obviously a better pick for a, a life mate than the skinhead. Yes. You know. That I she mean, was with before. Exactly. Right. Who only had one functioning eye at the end of the film. Yes. Um, but the other thing that I thought was a really good twist was how, you know, Ray is shot. He's, you know, slowly making his way through the the scene, uh, the set where the where the film crew is, because um, he's getting he's close bleeding, to dying, yeah. and he's getting shot. You know, like, it, I'm sorry, Jimmy starts coming up to him because he recognizes him. He's like, "What's going what's on?" Going on? What, what's and on? then, um, what's his name? Harry doesn't see Jimmy coming up and shoots. Ray and shoots through him. He's using a high caliber gun with which, dum-dums. Which just pops um, you know, Jimmy's head basically off and kills him because the bullets pass right through Ray. And because for the film he was dressed up in a schoolboy outfit, you know, Harry assumes, oh my god, I killed a That's kid. True. I did I did exactly what I'm not supposed to do. And he holds to his coat. He even says gotta stick to your principle before he kills himself. Yeah. Which, the crazy moment in that is that Ray was trying to tell him it wasn't actually a kid, it's not what you think, and Harry wouldn't listen to him. So I was trying to figure out, why would Ray try to tell Harry, you know, don't kill yourself, basically? I don't know, because there he is trying to kill him. I don't know. I don't well, know. again, we're, we, we were talking about that weird professionalism between the, t- yeah. the, the group of them. Yeah. So that might have been part of it there. I mean, I guess that's you got to kind of be like that if death dealing is your business. Yeah, you have to be cordial at the same time as dealing death. Cordiality is key. Cordiality is key. Well, is it time for ratings? I believe it is time for ratings. Um, uh, If you don't mind, I'll go go ahead and go first. You may. I think this film was very well acted. Um, I think that the script had a bit of a mixed bag to it, but overall. Um, was a clever story, much more clever than the concept made it sound to be. Um, and I thought that the um, film did a good job of exploring some really emotional stuff with a, with a bit of a, a, a wink and a nod. Um, like you said, there was some low-hanging fruit. I thought it looked great. I thought the directing was fantastic. Um, it wasn't too long. It, it felt like it, it was paced well for the length of the movie. Uh, and overall, I just I enjoyed it for what it was. Um, I think I think it was it was a three star movie. Okay. Um, I really liked the acting. I thought it was good. I loved 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 Brendan Gleeson in this film. Yes, he he was awesome. Um, like you said, the, the directing was good. Um, like I said, the practical effects that they used were were pretty realistic. Uh, the script was pretty strong, except for like we said, the low hanging fruit. Mm-hmm. A lot of things that irked me with that. Uh, but the you know the story itself played well. They they used Bruges quite well as its own character in that sense. Yeah. Um, the music was properly used. Um, it wasn't over. It wasn't wasn't overstated. It wasn't overstated, but it wasn't very noticeable. Right. Which, in my opinion, is fine for a film. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say that there were there was a moment where they used music very effectively, and that's when. Um, you know, Ken's on the stairs to the bell tower and he's been shot and it's the whole scene of him trying to get somewhere to get to the top of the bell tower and Harry's going after Ray and the song that they use there is like a very sad Irish song. Yeah. Very impactful. Yeah. It was used extremely well. Yeah, that was a really good musical selection. So very nice. Um, Overall, this was a good film. This is actually the second time I've watched the film. Um, I... think I felt the same about it as I did the first time. It's a solid film. It's it's not the most phenomenal, but it's good. It's solid. Um, I also want to give it three stars. So for the podcast, overall three-star rating, which is good. Yeah, very good. good, good uh, much better than High School Musical. 
I think I could have mustered some more for this, maybe three and a half stars, if all that low-hanging fruit was not in the film. And that could have been an editing choice, really. Yeah, I mean, that, that could have been cleaned up with editing pretty quickly. Yeah. But anyway, three stars overall for In Bruges. Uh, thank you so much for listening. If you want to go ahead and leave us a review on on iTunes, we would appreciate it. And if you want to make a movie suggestion, go ahead and let us know, and let us know that you made the um, made a, a review, and we'll go ahead and bump that to the top of the queue. Most excellent movie night at gmail.com. Most excellent movie night at gmail.com. Most excellent movie night.com. Yes. Send us your uh, not only requests for films for us to do, but also just feedback on what we've been doing. Um, we are not opposed to reading emails on the show. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. We hope you have a great week. You've been listening to Carlin and Jordan's Most Excellent Movie Night. Our theme music was provided by Sweet Wave Audio. To find more royalty-free music for your own projects, check out sweetwaveaudio.co.uk. And special thanks to Ariana Ramos for her graphic design savvy helping us with our album art. Visit our website at mostexcellentmovienight.com to listen to other episodes, give us your opinion, and share with us other movies you'd like to have reviewed. You can also contact us through our email address, mostexcellentmovienight.com at gmail.com. We would love to read them on the air. Also, if you could rate and review the podcast on iTunes, we would be your friends for life. For sure. That's all for now. Thanks for listening to Carlin and Jordan's Most Excellent Movie Night, where movies are most excellent. This has been a Nerd Circle Podcast production. 